How's that for a slice of fried gold? Are you think this is a fucking costume? This is a way of life. I'll be back. Just a flesh wound. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape. I'm sorry, Ben. I can't do that. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! I guess everyone's a title of one good scare. Well, hello, and welcome to Cinema Shock. Cinema Shock. <laughs> it's Cinema Shock, Gary. <laughs> Did you just you know, forget the name of the podcast? The other day when I was watching through the Matrix movies and I was I couldn't, I was trying to find our podcast for some reason. And it's not in the Matrix movies, Gary. And I was yeah, yeah, sure. I was not, typing in not, Psychotronic not, Film Society again. I was like, <laughs> I was drunk, but I was I was trying to seek out Psychotronic Film Society. It's a it's a rough life, I leave. <laughs> anyway, welcome to Cinema Shock. It's the uh, show celebrating the past, present, future. <laughs> now he's doing his wrestling show podcast. Oh my God. Welcome to Cinema Shock. This is a bonus episode. <laughs> I'll do Gary's job for him. That's Gary Horn, the guy who doesn't know how to do his job. Thank you. Uh, I'm Justin Bishop. And I'm Todd A. Davis. And today we're doing a bonus episode. We, we prom- well, we didn't promise a bonus episode, but we said we that we hinted. might do one we, we hinted that there might we be alluded one. that there might be one if we could <laughs> yeah. all get our shit together we promised you that when together. we said we we're gonna go deep inside the wachowskis that we would really get deep so this is part of it we're Why just dirty so uh if you're a fan of the matrix franchise you're probably familiar with what we're talking about today it's probably it probably doesn't come to a surprise to, to fans of that film but um, I, I feel like this is a movie that doesn't get talked about that much anymore. I mean, it was kind mm-hmm. of a, it was a pretty big deal at the time it came out, but oh yeah, it's, it's fairly, it was very unique at the time. Now, not now there's a lot of stuff kind of like this, you know, like if, if the matrix were being produced now in, in 2021, uh, the studio behind it, Warner brothers uh, would go immediately in, in, the, in a post Marvel world, uh, Warner Brothers would immediately go into extended universe mode, you know, just the same way that Disney's doing Marvel or Star Wars. Uh, I think that if if the Matrix were being released now, Warner Brothers would try to explore and exploit kind of every corner of the Matrix universe mm. than they could. Uh, well, I think I think they actually accomplished that to to a certain extent, you know, with their stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah, but the uh, the infrastructure wasn't there at the time. Sure, uh, right. Th- you didn't have streaming services and things like that that would make doing that kind of thing so much easier. And also, there wasn't a precedent for creating spinoff movies or TV shows and things like that at the time. Very I was true. about to you say, know? yeah, if you think about even like Star Wars Episode One, you know, coming out. Uh, at the same time as the Matrix, yeah, and that was hmm. that was like the first Star Star Wars thing in forever in like fifteen years, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. And uh, they they definitely and it was just about those three the new three episodes, you know, that were going to be coming out over the years, right? Now you you have a Star Wars movie every single year, a new Marvel movie every single year, 
uh, and, a new Marvel movie every three months. <laughs> this yeah, year. a new Marvel movie every three months. <laughs> and then there's TV, TV shows. shows. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, comics and everything. Uh, the Wachowskis, of course, would love to have all that, but that was the yeah, Allied like Justice said, no precedent for that. Yeah, mm. and the first film, you know, it does tease a lot of, of potential, uh, both in the world outside of what we see in the film and in the backstory. Uh, you know, Morpheus tells the story, but we never see the story. Uh, you know, the, the backstory that leads to the future world that the humans are living in. Uh, but then in 2003, Wachowskis, once again, ahead of the curve, attempted to do something similar, something that had never really been done before uh, with a direct-to-DVD anthology film called The Animatrix. From the creators of The Matrix Trilogy, what is The Animatrix? We know the truth now. Experience the extraordinary fusion of CG animation and Japanese anime in a groundbreaking collection of nine animated stories from seven visionary directors that takes the world of the Matrix to its unimaginable limits. I'm going back to the Matrix and I want you to come with me. Mind-bending excursion into the world of the Matrix. I really think this was, you know, it, it seems maybe to some of our younger listeners, like this is not a big deal, uh, which is why we maybe we are, we're going to keep repeating that. But this was a pretty groundbreaking idea in its time in 2003, mm. uh, because I don't, I don't know, I can't think of any other franchise in film history that attempted to expand on the universe of a film in quite the same way that this did, where you told side stories, some of which are connected to the main film, many of which are not. Uh, mm. I, I think, honestly, the closest, going back to Star Wars, the closest I can think of is those those awful Ewok made-for-TV movies that yeah. came out in the 80s. You they know, did one the for closest. Ewoks, and they did one for droids, if I recall. Well, the droids was a TV uh, cartoon, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were, there were, but there were two live-action Ewok movies. Oh, the live-action Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, they were bad. <laughs> yeah but development on the animatrix kind of started back when the wachowskis were visiting japan to promote the first matrix movie so while they were there in the country they visited a lot of the creators of the anime films that had so strongly influenced the matrix the film and they decided they were going to collaborate with them on a project that would expand upon the world of the matrix so the project itself was conceived by and overseen by the Wachowskis, who wrote four of the film's nine segments, um, although they did not direct any of the animation at all themselves. Uh, the majority of the animation was overseen by notable animators and directors from the world of Japanese anime. And then the release strategy for the shorts was kind of unconventional as well, because they didn't just drop it all at once. So again, there's no streaming service or anything. Mm-hmm. So what, what they did is they, they put four of the shorts uh, out prior to the release of the second Matrix movie, before before Reloaded, they put four of the shorts on the official Matrix website. Mm. What I think it was whatisthematrix.com or something like that. But yeah. They put four of these shorts on that website uh, while Final Flight of the Osiris was actually released in theaters. And then the remaining shorts were released on DVD in, uh, in June of 2003, which is a month or so after the release of the Matrix Reloaded. So actually the majority of people saw this in between Matrix 2 and 3. And that strategy was sort of genius on a few fronts. For one, releasing those four shorts online ahead of time helped to generate hype for the sequels, uh, which were astronomically expensive to produce. Like, we'll we'll talk about this when we do 
uh, our episode on the sequels, but even in comparison to the first film, uh, the, the, the two sequels were incredibly expensive. And then Final Flight of the Osiris was actually released in front of another Warner Brothers film, uh, the Stephen King adaptation, Dreamcatcher. You guys remember Dreamcatcher with a shit weasel? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, Fuck I, me, it's, Freddy. I still say that. <laughs> Fuck me, Freddy. And that's Jason Lee's live through that whole movie. Yeah, it's a, it. it's a... I bet I it's. Done it. Yeah, it's a pretty bad movie. Yeah, it's not good. Um, it was at the time described by at least one critic as, quote, unspeakably bad. Yeah. Uh, Dreamcatcher is, is not a good movie. It's it's one of those <laughs> bad movies that's still kind of fun to watch, but it's pretty awful. Well, but it sets, it, it, with it being Stephen King, it kind of sets a tone and doesn't follow uh, through with that. I mean, it's tone. not as if like. it was, it's not a great Stephen King book. No. I mean, if we're going to get into the into Dreamcatcher, this is the first book that he wrote after almost dying, after he, he got hit by a van and almost oh, died. Yeah, uh, he was he was you know not writing for for a long time, and this was the first book that came back. And so I think it's just a bit of a mess because I I don't know I'm not going to get into Stephen King's psyche at the time, but uh, it's it's a bit of a mess. Yeah. But it was getting pretty bad reviews. Uh, so by putting a Matrix tie-in before the film. It was actually able to help boost Dreamcatcher's box office, even after it had been panned by most critics and audiences. Uh, there I, were I went actually, to see, I went to see it in the theaters pretty much. I mean, I did too. For, yeah. Solely for Flight of the Osiris. Did you? <laughs> yeah, I did. I, a lot of audience members did the same thing. They bought tickets solely to see the short, uh, much like audiences had bought tickets to meet Joe Black a couple years prior uh, to get their first glimpse of the Phantom Menace. Do you guys remember that? They were they were promoting the Phantom Menace first trailer was attached to Meet Joe Black, and people were going and watching or buying tickets at least to Meet Joe Black, watching the Phantom Menace trailer and then leaving. Well, I did the same thing not for that, but I did the same thing for Batman Begins uh, when it was attached to. I think the trailer was attached to I Am Legend. Yeah, and I I did the same thing, and Uh, yeah, yeah. Now you just go on the internet and watch trailers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was so weird. I remember when you had to go to like Apple, like their website. Yep. Uh, and you yeah, watch Apple trailers. trailers yeah. yeah. <laughs> In the pre-YouTube days. Oh, yeah. Pretty crazy. So, I think, you know, as with most anthology films, uh, Animatrix is a little hit and miss. Uh, I think it's a little more hit than miss. But even its misses are, are packed with some pretty fascinating sci-fi ideas mm. and when it excels in its best segments i think what it does best is it fleshes out the world of the matrix in ways that even the official live action sequels were not able to do uh, so i think the best way to handle this fellas is just segment by segment talk about yeah. what we what we think about each one starting with of course final flight of the osiris the first segment in the film Final Flight of the Osiris is the one that ties in most blatantly to the events of the second Matrix movie because uh, it, the, the Osiris, the ship, uh, is is actually discussed in, in the Matrix Reloaded. Just briefly, but yeah. Briefly, yes. Very briefly. But uh, it, it does tie in, and I, I'm not sure where the writing process started on this, if that was something they did. They named it later after they had already written that into Reloaded or what. I'm really not sure. But this one was written by... Lana and Lily Wachowski. Uh, and it was directed by Andrew R. Jones, who was a visual effects and animation supervisor, who he has worked on everything from uh, like James Cameron's Titanic and Avatar. Uh, most recently, he was the uh, animation supervisor on John Favreau's uh, Jungle Book and Lion King remakes. Oh, nice. So he's, he's still out there. He's not generally a director, 
but uh, just prior to this film, he had he had been the animation director on the 2001 film Final Fantasy: The Spirits Within, uh, which I don't know if you guys remember that, but it was at the time it boasted what was very groundbreaking computer animation. Like people had not seen quote unquote realistic computer animation like that. It's it's very dated now. I think. Yeah, I yeah, and you can see a little bit of that, but it's I mean still looks good still looks actually really good yeah i thought it looked pretty good i mean it looks like what you get out of a video game i mean it, it looks it, like it a video older. game yeah it looks like a video game cut cut scene yeah absolutely yeah uh, it's, and, uh, and it, it, it was actually done by square enix who is a video game company right. uh so they I remember it was actually pro- produced by them i remember lincoln park for their uh for their remix album they had one they had one music video for it, and it was it like very clearly looked like a cutscene from Halo, and that animation was not nearly as good as as this. It's, well, this but it's around ra- roughly around the same. I'm same sure time. they they probably didn't have the budget that this had. Very true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess well, the Wachowskis they had seen the work done by Square Enix on Final Fantasy, and that's actually how they got involved. Mm-hmm. And this is they, the Wachowski saw the spirits within sent the producers, the script for final flight of the Osiris, uh, hoping to kind of replicate that animation style. Uh, and they signed on for it. Yeah. Nice. Uh, one of the big guys in this is a uh, producer, uh, Michael Aris. Uh, yeah. I think it's how you say his name, but he's, uh, some of this was all done through like studio negative four degrees. Is that the name of it? Um, I think that's it. And uh, he, he's an American. He lives over in Japan, or at least did at the time. He was a friend of uh, Mike Gaeta, uh, who was production designer or whatever. On, John uh, Gaeta. John Gaeta. Sorry. And yeah. Mike Aris. Yeah, sorry. Anyway, so John Gaeta, this is his good buddy. So they he introduced the Wachowskis over to him, and then they went to uh, Studio Negative 4 during some of this. And that was uh, who kind of oversaw all of this stuff. Yeah, uh, at least in, in production. Yeah, yeah, they kind of worked with each animation studio on, on over tied it all together basically. And Osiris, because it is computer animated, I think visually looks the most like an actual Matrix film. Uh, the filmmakers actually got digital models of the Sentinels and the Diggers, you know, the robots from the Matrix special effects department, and and based a lot of the environments on conceptual drawings from the film. So it looks like environmentally, and you know, the, the Sentinels are the exact same design, yeah, like literally from the film. So it definitely looks almost a part of the Matrix universe. Whereas some of the other shorts, you know, they they vary greatly dig- uh, visually. So some of them look, you know, less and oh. less like the actual Matrix film. But that was also kind of the point of this exercise it's kind of not, it's not unlike what star wars is doing with star wars visions on mm-hmm. disney plus right now only this is all considered canon whereas star wars visions is generally not i believe save for like close-ups of you know the faces of the characters if you didn't know you might not <laughs> you might not recognize that it's not it's it's really well done it's very well done i'm really enjoyed it some of the making of stuff talks about that you know like animating flesh is mm. uh different you know for for cgi uh it, it's interesting like getting into the technical details but not to get too into the weeds of it but i think the story uh andrew r jones tells is uh, about like you know animating an egg there's like just the shell and then but inside you know there's stuff so with like flesh it moves differently and so like you have you have like blood and muscle and 
all of this stuff. So it, it's kind of interesting just seeing like how more confident they were from spirits within and to this. And, and they well, spirits within, they specifically had everyone wear like long sleeves and like showing as little flesh as possible. And he reads the script on this one. And that first opening scene, the two main characters are half naked you know, yeah. <laughs> like the whole time. So he couldn't really get around it. Yeah. Uh, and CGI, but CGI, but yeah, I was like, this is a really horny episode Wachowskis. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure that they came up with all of I this. I mean, you got, you know, there are sex simulations within the matrix. So those people There's on the ships be. are getting in there. <laughs> well, well, he even, the, the, Plugging the one in. kid even hits at it with the lady in red of the first Yeah, one. you're right. He's a, he's a cyber pimp. They actually, <laughs> in uh, one of the cut scenes of the video game, they actually show where there's basically, it looks like the size of a record player, but it actually sits uh, behind a bed and you basically plug in for a one room, it basically puts you into a single room environment to do whatever. And, the horny uh, holodeck. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um yeah, but he he definitely, you know, you were talking about the the order of events or whatever, not knowing when they got this, but he says it was like right after Spirits Within that he got the script for it. And yeah, like uh, they were still wrapping up, I think. Yeah, and and so what they did was they got that uh they got the the sentinels uh designs and everything, and they put the girl from Spirits Within. If you look at some of the making of stuff, they got uh Aki, yeah, a little I think her name. Yeah, they did like a little test thing, and she's like fighting a sentinel. Yeah, uh, which technically yeah. within the world of the Matrix, she would not be able to do. Yeah, right. that, that would not be happening. But I guess it's just to, <laughs> just to show they could do it. And uh, Yeah, and it looks good. Yeah, yeah they, they changed her hair, gave her a short haircut and put her in an outfit that looks a little more Matrixy, uh, something like more like something what Trinity would wear and has her fight a Sentinel. And it's it's pretty cool to watch. But yeah, and you, you appreciate that they use like all of that probably Jeff Darrow conceptual drawings oh, and yeah, stuff to like sure. make up all the mechanics and stuff uh but you know the osiris is like i looked that up it was like the egyptian queen of the dead or or god of the deceased that's what it was and uh so which is yeah it's it's a uh, not what for i these, these not what i would name my <laughs> ship it seems like bad luck no <laughs> a, a never, appropriate, appropriate since they all die yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, <laughs> So if you look at the voice cast for these shorts, uh, you're going to see a lot of like really prolific voice actors, especially in this one, especially in Final Flight of the Osiris. Uh, now, I will say that mo all of these were actually released in Japan as well with Japanese voice cast. So we're just going to talk about the American voice cast because that's the one that we all have access to here. Uh, but on this one, you've got Kevin Michael Richardson. Remember, we talked about him uh, back in our Bound episode. Oh, yeah. And, you know, he's... It, amazing like he is he's got a resume 10 miles long it's kind oh, yeah. of insane of voice work that he's done uh but he plays thaddeus the main, the main guy in this one and then uh, pamela adlon plays jew and which is the, the female that he's sparring with at the beginning and mm -hmm. she's best known actually she's a very prolific voice actor as well she's actually best known for voicing bobby hill in king of the hill <laughs> This nice. tickles me for some yeah. reason. <laughs> uh, and then you've got John DiMaggio, uh, who is a legendary voice actor. Uh, he's done voices in almost every cartoon you've ever watched, if you've watched cartoons on television. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he's probably most, most well known for he plays Bender on Futurama and Jake on Adventure Time. John DiMaggio is actually Cat's, my wife's cat. Uh, it's her favorite version of the Joker. 
Oh yeah. Uh, he does More a Mark he Hamill, does huh? Yeah, he does a really good Joker in uh the feature length Under the Red Hood. It's, okay, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, it's really solid. Yeah. Uh then you've got Tom Kenny. He's another adventure time alum. He he voices the Ice King, but he's most well known as a character you might have heard of named SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> I wish they had been doing the SpongeBob voice. That would have been, oh, that would have been, you know, somebody's <laughs> had to have gotten some of these folks just like, hey, just we're just gonna do your lines again, just do it in the SpongeBob voice. Would have been an extra star for me. Oh, it'd been <laughs> awesome. Uh, you've also got Tara Strong, who's another voice actor who's who, her filmography is probably as long as DiMaggio's uh, and Kenny's. She yeah. is it has been in everything from like My Little Pony to Batman, the brave and the bold to the Powerpuff girls. Like she is in everything. It's, it's yeah. pretty impressive. Uh, and then there's one Todd mentioned this before we were recording uh, that he had, he had come across this information as well, but uh, in the, the voice of the old woman, you know, the, when they're at the mailbox, when Jew goes to, to mail the thing off and there's the old woman at the mailbox mm-hmm. there. And yeah. a little, she has a little conversation with uh, that's credited to an actress named Betty Ford. Not the one that has the drug clinic. or Yeah, not to be confused not. with former first lady Betty Ford. <laughs> uh, Betty Ford was an actress and model who appeared on TV shows and movies uh, all throughout the career. But uh, most notably, at least, or most interestingly, I should say, in her career, very early on, she was on a modeling photo shoot in Bogota, Colombia, and she was introduced to a famous matador named Luis Miguel Dominguez and watched him fight. And soon after... She left her home in New York for Mexico to train as a bullfighter. And she later became the first American woman to fight on foot at the Plaza Mexico, which is the largest, largest bullfighting arena in the world holds like 40,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> and then she went, she did that for a couple of years, had a few fights and then went back to acting and she yeah. acted through the nineties and early two thousands, I think. Yeah. And yeah. like di- directed by, uh, she was in stuff directed by Eastwood and yeah. Like, yeah. Like not just She's in like dirty Harry. Yeah, first, she's in like or a Sudden bunch Impact, of, whichever the first Dirty Harry movie was. Yeah, she's in a bunch of like really good stuff. It wasn't just kind of like, oh, I'm gonna retire from bullfighting, retire from bullfighting, which that's that's bonkers alone. And she's like 25 years old at this time. Yeah, retiring from bullfighting, <laughs> get back into acting. Yeah, I have to, to say, with... none of that is a story I would have come up with if you'd have asked. If you'd asked me, to. that's <laughs> right. <a> unexpected. <laughs> but such a wacky an awesome story what a life so cool yeah yeah (laughs) so do you guys we can get into this maybe further at the end but what do you guys think specifically about final flight of the osiris because this is the one that i guess tie a lot of people consider it even joel silver referred to it as matrix 1.5 because it it kind of leads into the second film but uh, what do you guys think of it do you think it's held up over the years do you think uh, do you think its story is significant enough to tie into the film? I feel like there's uh, there's a little section of, uh, you know, I could have easily seen this being even a little bit longer, exploring some more of the relationships on the ship, you know, on the Osiris and things like that. But, uh, you know, and even ex- um, exploring the concept of the drop points. Yeah. Where, like, how does, you know, this the blue, the standard blue mailbox, like, how does that translate into them getting information out right. of the matrix. Yeah. Uh, it's, but it's yeah, dropping I, little hints that you want to see explored more, which is why it would be cool to, if there was some sort of matrix 
ongoing series or you know something like that right right i i really dig this and um yeah some of the animations a little wonky we already discussed you know animating flesh and things like that but overall it's a solid entry it's a solid small chapter i like it i enjoyed it fine i I, you know it's funny the the matrix one of the things i thought about the original that i don't even know if we got into on the episode now that i think about it but all of the outside of the matrix stuff every time i watched it i had like a little bit of a feeling of like this is not the part that anybody wants to see they want to see the cool shit in the matrix and actually in this one i felt the opposite because really the only thing you got in the matrix was her running to the mailbox and them trying to strip each other down with katanas but (laughs) she she does some cool like she has a cool little chase scene in there. That's true. Yeah, yeah. There's that like her diving off the building thing that's yeah. kind of neat. But uh, but which may, which Trinity does the exact same move in uh in the Matrix Reloaded, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, pretty <laughs> um, much. But I did I did like the the outside of the Matrix stuff in this one. I thought it it expanded on it a little bit like and everything you, you see a Matrix, lot more of, of how things work in the the real world and exactly yeah, yeah yeah it's uh which you're gonna get a lot more of in the matrix sequels anyway so right right and uh so try not to step on those but the yeah you you, you don't get that in the first matrix so you're kind of seeing like oh this is what what the whole it expands on that universe and and it actually makes like a cool like little spaceship fight there at one point too you know which is kind of fun because you don't everything seems kind of tiny in the matrix compared to this one as far as the real world stuff right yeah because in the matrix you're really just seeing life on the nebuchadnezzar right essentially and not not everything around that uh yeah i like this one i I think the animation has not held up over the last almost 20 years uh i think it still looks okay but it's you know cgi does not date well typically uh, and we, we're seeing stuff, you know, now that's animated that's much more realistic than this. I mean, hell, most of the superhero scenes in the Marvel movies are computer animated. Like the actors, you know, yeah, aren't much. actually, in, you know, Tom Holland is not in that Spider-Man suit when he's zipping around <laughs> New York. You know, that's CGI. I figured uh, he was on a crane or something. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but you can't fault that. I mean, the technology wasn't there. And for the time, this was groundbreaking technology. This is the one that I, I uh, remember the most before watching it this time, uh, mostly because I think it was so groundbreaking at the time that it stuck in my brain and also because it was the one that was promoted the most at the time, mm-hmm. uh, which I get. This thing cost $5 million to make. For this nine-minute short, wow. which you got to think, the original Matrix was sixty million, uh, and this is a fi- this is five million dollars for only nine minutes. Like if this had been expanded to a ninety-minute movie, this would have been a fifty million-dollar film. So it's pretty insane. I mean, th- this short cost almost as much as the first film that the Wachowskis directed. It's pretty insane. <laughs> I wish I think about it that way. Yeah, <laughs> like the. I don't know how much pool they had apparently at this time to to like get this stuff done. It's uh it's pretty impressive. Well, I mean, The Matrix was the highest grossing film in Warner Brothers history at the time that it came out. So, uh, Warner Brothers was willing to throw a lot of money at this. But it's funny cuz this whole this whole anthology film was created as a direct to DVD thing which would never happen now because nobody buys dvds hardly anymore i mean most people are streaming this would go to streaming now uh on like an hbo max or something yeah but at the time the dvd market was so huge 
that you could just put anything out on DVD and people would buy it. Like the DVD yeah. market, it's it's hard to remember, I guess. It, it's easy for me because I was such an avid DVD collector at the time. You, were, you guys yeah. know, you saw my collection. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I had, I had thousands of DVDs in my house. But at the time, like DVDs were a huge market. Yeah. Uh, and that's not the case now. So it, for people who might not have been collecting and stuff then, it's hard to imagine just how much of like this was a a sure sell for Warner Brothers. It's interesting so, that CGI stuff doesn't really work that well or doesn't age very well. Because um, I, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out like, you know, you want to accept that that's like a, a style of animation that should translate over what I guess what I'm thinking of is the fact that this is the one that's not when you think of the Animatrix, you think of anime and, you know, clearly the Wachowskis are inspired by anime, uh, just especially coming up, like look at some of the fight scenes, but even some of the poses that they do, like even mm -hmm. some of like that, that lobby fight and stuff, just some of the angles that it shot at and the poses that Neo's going through, like with his yeah. arms behind him with the guns and stuff. And like, it just, uh, there, there's obviously a lot of anime influence in there. And so this is the most, this is the least anime one of right. the Animatrix. And it's just interesting how that all translates. I mean, I guess all this other stuff is like traditional or it's passed down. They're all styles that have worked. Like anime is a big deal in Japan uh, oh, yeah. for anybody who doesn't know. I mean, this is like, there's, there's anime for everything in, or, or manga for everything in uh, Japan. So it's like an accepted style. Like people just... You know, we're just now getting into the era of like, like comic books are the hottest selling thing in the world, you know, or whatever, or like, or at least the characters and the movies and stuff, those stories. And in Japan, this has been this way since like post-World War II. I like, mean, we uh, talk about this back in our, you know, our Tarantino series mm. where we talked about Lone Wolf and Cub and we talked about Lady Snowblood and how those were major, they were very successful comic books before they were films that's why they got adapted into films and this was in the you know the 1970s you know mm -hmm. well before like literally many decades before america decided that it was a a market that was worth exploiting right yeah, it's, it's weird too like they've, they've just had this like cool history uh of like like woodblock stories and yeah. stuff like that like they just all they've got like the real visual i guess the manga style or whatever and i think even the manga they they took from the quote-unquote funnies from the u.s but like translated into their own way of telling stories but yeah it's just interesting like how embedded in their styles in this this anthology seem to be the ones that hold up the best i suppose mm. yeah yeah i would agree with that and the, the remainder of the segments are mostly pretty inspired by more traditional anime i, I think uh, program I think is the one that's the most traditionally anime, but they're all much closer than Final Flight of the Osiris, uh, including the next one, which I think is my personal favorite. I think is the, I think this next one is the best segment of the film to me, uh, mm. from a, especially from a storytelling standpoint. I think more than any other segment, uh, the second Renaissance fleshes out the world of the Matrix in ways yeah. that that a uh, that an anthology like this should. Yeah, uh, you know, it's because the, it's the secret origin, basically. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say more so now that we're thinking about it, more so than Osiris. This is actually the one that 
uh, matters the most. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and it, for some reason, it's split into parts one and two. I have to imagine that has to uh, has to do with the release strategy where maybe they were released on the website, on the Matrix website. Maybe this was one of the four that was released on there. Uh, and they were released in two separate parts because of that. And that might have been due to limitations on length on the Internet at the time. Mm. I'm not really sure. But it's split into parts one and two. If you have the Blu-ray of the Animatrix or the DVD, it, it, they play back to back. So it's kind of it's really one long short split yeah. in half. Uh, but it's one story. Uh, and this was another one that the story was written by the Wachowskis. And the film was directed by Mahiro Maeda, uh, who is an anime director who had started his career early on animating classic Studio Ghibli films uh, like Nausicaa Valley of the Wind, uh, Castle in the Sky. Uh, but he was most well known at the time for a series that aired in Japan uh, called Blue Submarine Six. Uh, tying back to that Tarantino series, he also later did key animation on Kill Bill on the anime nice. series there. Uh, but he was most well known at the time for Blue Submarine Six, which was a series that blended CGI and traditional 2D cell animation. That's uh, yeah. that's exactly the point to take from this one, like because this one does a great job of blending the two, and and even Blue Submarine Six, if you look at like clips from it or watch the movie or whatever, it's even more awkward because it's like. All yeah, of the ship like, stuff is CG, and then it's and like, like 3D looking CG, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the characters are very traditional 2D. Uh, but this one, you know, this one does have a lot of CGI in it. Basically, any element in this that's not human, like machines, vehicles, those are all rendered in CG, but they're made to look, they're like colored and, and lit like 2D cell animation, mm -hmm. uh, which you can tell sometimes, some Futurama actually does that a lot. Uh, or, you know, when you see the ship, that's CG that they make to look like cell animation. Yeah. But it works really well in this, I think. Yeah, uh, it definitely helps blend because like Gary said, you know, the Blue Submarine 6, it's fairly jarring. It's like, very to, jarring to, yes. to cut back and forth. But yeah, it's like you're lighting, watching two different things. Yeah, yeah. And the lighting technique uh, here just really does help blend. Yeah. It's, it's not until you look shot to shot of where you can oh here it's digital oh here it's yeah. you know ink and paint but yeah it, yeah it's it they do a great job of blending it here and i love i i really love this one i love the format of it i love the the like newsreel kind of mm -hmm. footage mm -hmm. uh it makes for a very interesting uh viewing experience but it's also a very fascinating story i mean this one's basically so this is the one that basically fills in all of the story that morpheus is telling to neo in in the matrix movie and it's it's a fascinating look at it i think you've got the you see the oppression of well you see the rise of ai and then how the machines the robots kind of get mistreated yeah. and then them rising up and you see the scorching of the sky and all this stuff mm -hmm. that 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 morpheus alluded to and also stuff in between the lines what Morpheus was talking about, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, but it's really cool. I mean, it, it essentially becomes a, a story about, like, class warfare yeah. between the humans and the machines, you know? And uh, one writer I was reading about said that, that I was where I was reading about this short in particular said that this was, you know, it's a story, it's a meditation on class warfare showing how it's ultimately inevitable and how whoever wins will exploit those who are defeated. Uh, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty cool short. It is, it's awesome to look at. It also builds a lot of sympathy for 
the villains of the matrix for the machines Mm -hmm. something that it's gonna i i i think plays into the sequels of of the matrix pretty well because they're more than just faceless evil you know, yeah, there's a well, lot more going on in the Matrix than what's what you were told in the first movie. Yeah. And I mean, to, you know, don't want to I'm sure we don't want to get too much into the detail of each one of these story wise. But to see that the machines reached out to mankind through the United Nations, like yeah. and and really tried and, to and have were rejected. Co- yeah, really tried to yeah. have peaceful coexistence. And it was us who were just like, no, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, so yeah, we can, I love this tale. one. I mean, I think the animation style is incredible. Yeah, uh, yeah. I love the designs. Uh, the robot designs were actually based on a design by Jeff Darrow from mm-hmm. a Matrix tie-in comic that he did. Uh, the, specifically, the one with the little mustache, you know, yep. the little the Bolt Butler. That was a Jeff Darrow design. So they based all of the robots on that design. Oh yeah, yeah that was and that I, was apparently the only thing like uh, Meta was like given was like, hey, just so or or at least wanted to pay homage to like or this has already been designed the robots like the yeah. look of the robots have been kind of there already so let's uh let's stick with that but and he actually you know th- th- this is the one too where they used a lot of the software that that guy uh mike Aris creates that's what he does over in japan he's like a software engineer or whatever a lot yeah. of his is the one that blended the 2d and the 3d and this one right and uh and apparently it made it doesn't normally uh conceptualize his own characters but was like so invested in this one that was one thing he did here at least and as far as the uh the narrator right the narrator yeah i was gonna call yeah. i forget what they call her the instructor the instructor yeah, that's yeah. it yeah. yeah and so like he has that whole man mandela at the beginning the yeah uh it was like a very buddhist thing and uh but no going back to what you were talking about this is one of the things that I have a love hate with the Wachowskis for some reason. I think that their humanity is super weird. And I, and I get that it's their personality. I always think the humans in the Wachowski stuff seem sort of robotic themselves. Sure. And so, and I don't, and, uh, and I would say that that's intentional, except I kind of felt that a little bit, even in, in uh, bound, like I felt, like everybody was kind of weird. I don't know. It was so, not like, quite acting like people act in real life. Yeah. Yeah. Like Joey pants is always like the best actor. Like yeah. he just, at least cause he seems like a real person. I don't know. He always seems like Joey pants, but he seems like a real, a real human being. Right. And, yeah. uh, more emotional, more emotional. Exactly. And so anyway, that said, uh, one of the things I love when they're digging into this philosophy and especially the more you you hear about them, I mean, they're, they're really digging into like issues, like, like real philosophical discussion. And it's Mm -hmm. not completely bland, like good versus evil or like, uh, Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or that, that, that your, your, you know, your villain is just some nameless faceless thing. Um, that everybody has, everybody's looking out for themselves too. And so that there's, there's reasoning. And so there's like more depth to everything. There's a lot more complexity in, in that relationship between man and machine than what we're made to think in the first matrix movie. Yeah. Um, They get get into the economics of it, of like they started producing and exporting their own goods and they were, they were putting everybody out of it. There's some pretty (laughs) disturbing, like, dystopian imagery in this Mm -hmm. uh like like the 
you know, the way the machines are treated in, in part one before that the trial uh, of that one uh, machine. And also like the, the scene where the, the, the machine that looks like a woman where she's being just ripped apart and yeah. screaming, like I'm real, like that's, yeah. that's pretty disturbing stuff. Very, very, uh, you know, that's some pretty disturbing imagery. Well, he, mm-hmm. he straight up says like made a thought that the, best way to do this would show like how violence repeats in the world and there's like uh, there's always like these situations of like this injustice and this disturbing stuff and that people he had hoped people would connect more in this one if he could relate some of the imagery to things that have happened like vietnam or uh uh tiananmen square like there's the robots getting crushed by like the tank tracks oh yeah you see the and you see the one that has the gun to his head like yeah yep yeah and so he was he was taking he was he was intentionally taking like moments of just like things that stand out in our minds as terrible violence uh that you know we could see here i i even think maybe it was this one but one of them they were they were saying like they had gotten they had started like rapping like right after 9 11 or something or they had they had worked on it around that time and so they were worried they wouldn't even be able to show some of the destruction of the buildings and stuff like that but never got any notes and they were like all right well this is still impactful and they went with it but um i don't know it's just interesting like there was a lot of thought in this one you could you could feel just like uh and 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 even then that he's giving the uh depth or uh complexity to the robots but he also they're also showing here that like the humans did fuck up the humans did fuck up and they're treating them like objects but then once the robots, once they're in the war too, like that, they're like, all right, well, this is, you know, it's on now. Then they also will treat the humans like objects. And then they're yeah. just like, now you're just batteries and you're yeah. not yeah. anything that matters. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. Well, even it, seeing, it's, it's, uh, it's like a full circle kind of thing. Yeah. Even seeing once they had won the war, seeing the robots experiment on human bodies and the one that's, dissected and, yeah. <laughs> and he said he, said he like, took that from like oh. a, a, a how you would do a lobster basically yeah. that was the idea there Jesus. yes wow so the next story well actually i'm going to talk about a couple different stories here you've got kids story and detective story i do um, want to say real quick sorry justin um no go ahead that go ahead. uh i did right before we got on here i was watching uh, uh some kind of I think there's like a YouTube. This is just like Matrix Explained, but uh, they uh, they were talking about the 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 robot that's in the uh, meeting with the world leaders that self destructs and kills everyone or whatever. Like after you know the robots are like basically winning, Um, there was a whole segment on this that that is the Oracle, huh? And uh, that's their theory. Yeah, that's their theory is that that's the Oracle. And they had a lot of evidence like backing this whole thing around mm. and that what's happened is, is that like essentially in the movies, because I think I jumped ahead on last episode when I talked about the Matrix. I don't think that program discussion happened there. But no, that happens in part two. Yeah, but so spoiler alert. Sorry. But <laughs> so spoiler the Oracle, alert for the episode you already listened to. Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, the Oracle is a program. And so so they're basically like... Uh, they're saying like they, they told this whole story about how the oracles are programmed that helped deliver humanity to the machines. So it has respect amongst the machines, but then is also 
feeling uh, shame or, or regret, remorse for the humans because of how the machines are now doing exactly to the humans what the humans did to the machines and feels like this is, you know, and that's why she's helping humanity uh, later. Yeah. And, uh, but, but basically that, that this was a machine that was designed that was so perfectly adept at understanding human nature and understanding human decisions. And that's how it ended up being the one that struck a deal and got in there and like worked out everything. I don't know. It's pretty cool. It's, yeah. it's interesting, but oh, it's yeah. really cool. A lot of uh, deep stuff in the matrix. Yeah, for real. So the next couple of shorts I want to talk about are a uh, kid's story and detective story. Uh, Cause they, they also tie in to the matrix in a fairly direct way by featuring characters from the films. Uh, and they were both directed by the same person uh his name is i I apologize if i mess his name up uh but it is a shinichiro watanabe that's that sound right that That feels right yeah sounds sounds, Uh, i'm gonna stick with watanabe from here yeah same (laughs) shinichiro watanabe yes but i'm gonna i'm gonna say just continue with watanabe from here on as well but he is known most as the director of cowboy bebop the Cowboy oh, Bebop yeah. series, co-creator of that show. Uh, he was offered the choice to direct one of the scripts by the, by the Wachowskis or to develop one of his own. They're like, you can do whatever you want. Do you want one of our scripts? Do you want to do your own script? And he had been kind of keen to write his own story, but the producers kind of strongly recommended that he do Kid's Story, which was written by the Wachowskis. Mm. Uh, and according to Watanabe, that original script by the Wachowskis only had stuff from the school on, like basically the second half of the short. And he added all of the other elements to the script himself. So he kind of uh, worked, uh, reworked it a little bit. So he was making this one and he, he knew it said in an American high school. Uh, he knew nothing about American high schools. American high schools are vastly different from Japanese ones. So he actually traveled to San Francisco. He scouted a high school there and based the look of the school, uh, in the film to the one that he saw when he was visiting San Francisco, uh, he barely changed anything other than I think the name of the school, but it is almost yeah. an exact <laughs> recreation. Yeah, uh, and then while in San Francisco, he also met uh, Clayton Watson, who is the actor who plays the kid in the matrix reloaded and revolutions. And he's the character that's portrayed in this story. And they actually were able to have him act out a lot of his scenes, uh, basing their animation on his performance. And uh, I love—I really like the animation style of this. It was a little off-putting. It's done in this really deliberately messy hand-drawn style mm-hmm. that Watanabe developed alongside his animation director, Shinshi Hashimoto. Uh, they kind of came up with this hand-drawn look that is, is very, very unique, uh, yeah. I think. Uh, it's, I, I could see a lot of people not, not liking it, uh, but I kind of dig that it looks so, so different. And I like the way that that movement is portrayed in it, especially when the kids on the, on the skateboard where he's trying to get away and the way his body kind of bends and shifts around, it kind yeah. of, it kind of gives you the idea that he is bending reality, even though he doesn't seem to realize what he's doing, you know? Right. It, it convey it to me, it conveys a lot of very high energy mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, there, there is something yeah, yeah, it's not quite right. The movement's not quite right, although it's moving very quickly. Yeah, I never considered that it's that he's actually bending reality. That's 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 an interesting point of view to look at it that way from a story perspective. Yeah, and uh, of course, Clayton Watson does his own voice in it. And mm-hmm. at the end of the short, we 
meet, uh, I think it's Neo and Trinity, right? And both Keanu Reeves and Carrie and Moss do do the voices in that. Yeah. Do you yeah. like this one, Gary? So I sure did like this one. This one also, I mean, we, I feel like I say this on every one. This one actually connects in. But, uh, <laughs> it does connect in because you're, you, you've got the kid who actually shows up in, is a character who shows up in the movies. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Um, and you and you also know why he is so attached to Neo in the Matrix Reloaded, yeah, uh, because of this story. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, I mean, uh, if you see the Matrix Reloaded, we'll talk about it next week. But they they hint that Neo pulled him out essentially or helped to, but this is the the full story of how exactly what happened. Yeah, and mm. there's a lot of um, you know, they're taking like elements from the real world, like you said, the the actor they. Uh, Clayton they they got video of him doing certain things uh the the uh skateboarding was done by a guy named Eddie Kim who is like a YouTuber who uh Hmm. does a lot of skateboarding and philosophizing and um so if you check him out on YouTube but uh cool anyway uh he's a he's a yeah he's a like a pro skateboarder like a champion or something initially from that but um do you like the visual style of this one? It's interesting. It's weird. It's weird to get the hang of at first, but yeah. it was, yeah, I was, I was looking up a little bit about that. And, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Hashimoto, uh, Shinshi Hashimoto, who was like a, you know, who worked with Watanabe yeah. and uh, Hashimoto was the one who recommended this style. And yeah, uh, they were basically kind of, they discuss uh, that it's based on sort of the, initial sketches that an animator works on before you know before the they're cleaned up and everything yeah uh, Watanabe and, and, he, he felt like it was uh he was tired of the traditional like way of doing things he wanted to do something special for this and Hashimoto recommended the hand-drawn style he even says himself he's embarrassed that people think it's something so special that he actually pulled that from old stuff like the, you yeah. know this is the old way of doing things basically and uh but Watanabe really loved it because he felt like it was personal to the artist and like it could it gives even more uniqueness because like depending on who's doing your animation you know it's like a completely unique version of this thing and uh said it was very tedious but they had time and a budget so yeah that's that's what they yeah, did. It's tedious because they it create. I think they have to use double the amount of cells because they have to do the um, the kind of sketchy look and then the color cell underneath that because you can't really color it traditionally. Yeah, I found that go in and paint really it. fascinating in terms of a production. Yeah. I was just like, wow. I mean, because we hear a whole lot about you know everything that goes into something like a Pixar movie, and this kind of like yeah, they're essentially having to make this movie twice with yeah. the amount of yeah. work. Yeah. yeah. So, so in, in contrast to the style on that, which is very messy, very hand-drawn, the animation for a detective story, which which is these do not come back to back in the in the film. Uh, I'm just talking about them both together because they were directed by the same guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of makes sense. So it, it the animation and detective story is much more clean. Uh, and it's but not quite traditional because it's rendered in this very stylized, grainy black and white, which I think looks uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, honestly. it's awesome. I, I love the animation on Detective Story. Uh, it was one of the last ones to be des- that was decided on for inclusion in the film. Uh, the, the way that the um, the producer, I can't remember his name, the, 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 you mentioned Gary, 
he talks about before a detective story, they had about 20 or so scripts from different writers and directors, but the Wachowskis just weren't satisfied with any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Watanabe came to the Wachowskis and the producers with this idea for a detective story, doing this like film noir kind of thing. And they loved it. So it's that's, very, that's what he did. I mean, this cool. is, <laughs> it's very much a detective story done in the style of film noir, but set within the world of the matrix. I mean, you've got, obviously modern technology in it because he's you know using hackers and things like that obviously it's set within the same time frame as the matrix but he definitely gives it more of a steampunky kind of look because there's sort of this melding of new and old technology in his version of this world that i think doesn't fit necessarily with what we've seen of the matrix but looks pretty fucking cool for yeah this yeah. for this short no, if you watch yeah, like cowboy bebop i mean that's that's kind of the Cowboy Bebop very much has like a, a vibe of like blending like some old style of stuff in like a futuristic setting. And um, yeah, but- I mean, even down to even down to his clothes, he's still, you know, trench coat and fedora. But like, yeah, it's yeah. still very much, it, you know, it's still very much a Matrix story, but could yeah, I mean, easily it, it- fit within any noir uh category. It's yeah, because awesome. even the New York that's depicted in this is kind of a very 40 style New York with, mm-hmm. with little bits of, of new technology. And the story is a, is a pretty straightforward for a while detective story where he's been hired to find a missing woman. That missing woman just happens to be Trinity. And he just happens to have been hired by the machines, by the agents. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's a fun little twist that ends in a really cool uh, gunfight on a train uh, that I think is really great. And it's Carrie Ann Moss again, uh, playing the, uh, Playing, playing Trinity. Yeah. Which is Watanabe's like big uh, driving factor here. I think he, he, he mentioned in one of the interviews, like he, he just really wanted to use Trinity and something. So, (laughs) and even her design, I mean, it's still the same character, but even her design is, is tweaked just slightly, but it's still like really fresh and, um, and looks great. Yeah. The top, you know, besides the stuff that is, directly linked this is the one that's really kind of special i really really enjoyed this one and there's another one we're going to talk about soon but yeah yeah uh we haven't mentioned don davis in this a lot but he was he was really excited about this one too because he scores i think all of this um i think think, yeah i think he scores them all and he gets to do kind of different yeah different musical styles for he was excited to like he's like oh i get to do like a 1950s noir movie now yeah so the next one we'll talk about is Program. Uh, Program was directed by an animator named uh, Takashi Kawajiri, uh, a guy who created an anime called Ninja, Ninja Scroll, uh, which the Wachowskis were big fans of Ninja Scroll. Uh, I'm a big fan of Ninja Scroll. Ninja, I, I'm not a huge anime guy. Um, admittedly, I just don't know a lot about that world, but there are some of the bigger titles that I'm familiar with. And for some reason, Ninja Scroll was always one of those to me. I remember it coming out on DVD back maybe in the early 2000s when I got it, late 90s, and just really loving the animation style. It's very dynamic. It's very cool looking. Uh, and I always loved that. So, uh, I, and program is visually pretty, pretty cool, I think. Uh, so, Kawajiri was near the top of the Wachowskis' wish list for directors when they started this project because they were such big fans of Ninja Scroll. And he happened to also be a big fan of the Matrix. So he's like, yeah, I'll, I'm willing to direct a segment 
if I can kind of submit some story ideas of my own. So he came up with two stories, actually, Program and World Record, uh, the latter of which was directed by Takeshi Koiki. But this one, World Record a little bit, but especially Program is the closest to like traditional anime style character design and things like that, uh, especially in the in the woman that's in it. Yeah, yeah. The way that she's depicted. Yeah, the, the stuff that's digital in program is very subtle and it's yeah. mostly and it's mostly background you know the way and we've discussed at length on this show you know um some of the most successful uses of digital animation is when it's there to just augment what it, whatever else is already on screen and i think they do a good job of that here so much so that it's hard to tell what's digital yeah. and what's 2d animation but yeah uh, in terms of use of 2d animation this is pretty much the bulk of it is 2d yeah well i also like traditional ink and paint this is not the only one where this is the case but this is the one where it being a japanese production oh yeah adds a lot to it we're going to talk more about that on probably another one here in a minute but this one it's set in at least the scene or the simulation they're in within within or the program they're in within the matrix this fighting program is in like a feudal japan Mm. you know kind of area and i just i really love the look of this one like character or or story-wise it's not the most interesting i mean it's it raises some fun questions you know the idea of what you know the the cypher question would you turn your back on on the truth to go back to an easier life kind of thing which is kind of the conflict of this one but man i i think visually it's a beautiful short like two of the things they they mentioned were uh yukioi um like i think that's how you pronounce it it's like scroll paintings uh mm-hmm. back in in japanese and um then also these hanafuda uh cards like playing cards in japan like the way that they're um the art on them is like what they were going for but uh uh the the character designer in this one was uh yutaka manoa um who works a lot with kawajiri and they also uh, I, I was a fan of ninja scroll as well i used to have this channel we've talked about it a number of times on this podcast but like in one so like and it had night flight and all that other stuff and um but anime was always on there and i remember one of the big ones was ninja scroll they always showed and the other was vampire hunter d which these guys did the sequel to the vampire sequel, hunter bloodlust yeah yeah um so uh they, uh, yeah, they, I, I just like their style a lot. Like he's got a very, like, he, he pays attention to this traditional Japanese stuff, but then also like, you can tell he's a big fan of Westerns as well. Like he, uh, and all of this stuff, he's got like a very John Wayne kind of movie thing. Yeah. There are a couple of moments in this one where they're facing off, like they're about to duel, you know, uh, the, just the way that he, he frames the characters where you've got like the hand and kind of hip area of one, the other person in the background, like they're about to duel. It's very Western, like. Yeah, I, I really like this one, too. And, you know, this was a cool one for Don Davis as well, because can't use Prodigy, I think is what he said. You can't use Prodigy <laughs> yeah. in medieval in times. Japan. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's a it's a it's a it's a good one. This one's this one's a lot of fun just uh, seeing that and, and dealing, like you said, with that that story that like Cypher deals with just the the concept of simulations can also be dangerous. Would you want to just stay in them? And yeah. Uh, interesting star trek's done that too you know with the hollow deck and such oh, yeah. people get, get <laughs> hey, well while we're deck. on the subject of star trek todd 
Yeah. Can you tell us in any of these shorts if uh, if we've got any Star Trek guys? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> this list is a bit uh, extensive, but I'll try to get through it as quickly <laughs> as I can. Uh, so we already mentioned Kevin Michael Richardson uh, yeah. as Thaddeus. Uh, just really quick, he did uh, some Lower Decks and Star Trek Into Darkness and five different Star Trek video games. And then we've got Pam Adlon as Jew. She was in an episode of Next Gen, Season 3, Episode 4, Who Watches the Watchers. Uh, Tom Kenny, a.k.a. SpongeBob SquarePants, uh, is the operator on Flight of the Osiris. And he's done four episodes. And four in four episodes of Lower Decks, he's portrayed seven characters. None of them uh, SpongeBob, unfortunately. None of them SpongeBob, <laughs> although on Lower Decks, it would actually probably fit. Uh, Tara Strong uh, has also done uh, one Star Trek video game, Orion Pirates, uh, back in 2001. Uh, Dwight Schultz as Nanaka in matriculated which we haven't discussed yet but uh he is known for one character in the star trek universe and that's lieutenant reginald barclay and he's actually played him six times on voyager five times on next gen he was in the first contact movie in 96 directed by jonathan frakes and one video game in 2003 john demita as the teacher in kids story was on uh one episode of star trek next generation that was season six episode 25 uh, Timescape, where he plays a nondescript Romulan. Phil Lamar as duo in Program. Uh, he's done much like uh, much like Tom Kenny, a bunch of episodes of Lower Decks, playing even more characters. He's done six episodes of Lower Decks, portraying eight different characters, most notably Admiral Freeman, husband of Captain Freeman, father of Ensign Beckett Mariner. And uh, Matt McKenzie as agent. He's in World Record and Beyond and Detective Story. He's done uh, two episodes, one of Star Trek Voyager and one of Deep Deep Space Nine. Uh, Tress McNeil as Kenny and Beyond was in Star Trek Starfleet Academy, the video game from 1997. Uh, T.C. Carson, Terrence T.C. Carson as Clarence from A Detective Story was also in Star Trek Klingon Academy. Uh, back in 2000, Melinda Clark as Alexa matriculated was in uh, the Star Trek Enterprise pilot episode, Broken Bow, that nice. I discussed with Gary Horn on uh, the first episode of Computer Resume podcast available now wherever you get your podcast. There's the plug. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, playing uh, the Suliban Saren. And uh, just, it's not Star Trek, but I thought this was interesting. She was also in Spawn in 1997 as Jessica Priest. The I, movie? I, yeah, live the movie, action. the live action movie. Yeah, she she plays priest. Uh, Rod Salisbury as uh, Cryon in Matriculated was also in Star Trek uh, Starfleet Command 3 in 2002. And last but not least, Olivia Dabo as Rox in Matriculated was in one episode of Star Trek Next Generation True Q, which was season six, episode six in 1992. And that's everybody I've- in Star Trek. One thing I've really learned by by these segments of yours, Todd, is how many fucking Star Trek video games there are. There's a ton it's of video games. Yeah. <laughs> it's absurd <laughs> how many video games there are. Tons, it's kind of dumb, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it was it was a lot of uh, 
a lot of PC stuff. It's a lot of yeah. like late nineties, early two thousands nerds PC video games. Yeah, yeah. Made for nerds. <laughs> I was gonna nerds. talk about how I remember playing on PC one of the uh, next gen games, but now I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, so we're, let's get to world record. We, I mentioned earlier that yes. it's directed by Takeshi Koiki, but it is by a um, by an idea by by Kawajiri or written by Kawajiri. And this one's a pretty cool concept, I think, world record because it shows somebody much like the kid who is waking himself up from the Matrix. Yeah. You know, yeah, uh, which I think is is kind of a cool concept that that's possible just by like in this case just physical and mental determination kind of thing. Uh, but one thing about this one is that I really think the animation style is super cool. I yeah. love, I love Koiki's character design. It's kind uh, of like the movement from that hand-drawn style and kid story, but mixed with like a almost graffiti type style. It's, it's very so engaging. I, really I think love it's it. very clearly influenced by the style of character, by the character designs of Peter Chung, who we'll talk about in a minute. Creator. Yes, yes. It 100% is. He, he yeah. definitely says that Peter Chung's influential on him. So. Yeah. I mean, the way he draws like the, the, just slightly deformed looking people, big hands, you yeah. know, like very strange shape, but very dynamic to look at. Uh, Kawiki had been working at Madhouse Studio, which is the studio that uh, Kawajiri worked for. Uh, he started working there just out of high school. Like he, he was kind of a prodigy and he had been working on a short of his own uh, when other animators at the studio kind of took notice of these unique character designs that he was doing. And when Kawajiri saw that, he knew that this is the guy that he wanted to work on world record for him. So Kawajiri basically just gave him free reign to do whatever he wanted with his script. Madhouse is the studio like Man uh, Manoa uh, and Kawiki and Kawajiri. All of those guys work for there. All these movies that I was just mentioning before that that's like their studio. But yeah, Kawiki was like a uh, sort of a student to Kawajiri. And so uh, Kawajiri had been watching him and, and Kawajiri son. Yeah, Kawajiri-san. And uh what he calls him. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, yeah. it really is. But yeah, that just uh but but yeah, he 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 definitely mentioned uh sorry if I'm stepping on you here, but he's he definitely mentioned that like a lot of the what makes him unique, he thinks, is like his use of black. Like he definitely likes these yeah. like, layers of shadows and stuff yeah. behind people. Very and, thick lines. Yeah, thick lines and uh and likes uh subdued music and more in the action realm. Uh like it just uh but yeah, he, he 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 certainly definitely says Peter Chung, like he loves Peter Chung's yeah. work. Mm -hmm. it's it kind was of, the Wachowski's idea to have him fall at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, that is one that is one suggestion. They didn't write this one, but that was their suggestion. And I think that's I'm not sure what the original script was, but I can't imagine it going any other direction. It's it's actually kind of heartbreakingly beautiful, honestly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, they, they said of, that, uh, it makes me think of the speech that um Morpheus is giving Neo right after uh Neo's first time in the um the construct and yeah. he talks uh Morpheus talks about the first who was actually able to free himself from the matrix and I think that that speech along with world record and what I think will happen in matrix 4 is um more experiencing the life and adventures of folks who have been 
able to free themselves from the matrix and how that builds an early resistance. Uh, but that's my personal opinion on what I think matrix four will be. <laughs> well, I like that idea because it's, it's definitely a, a, a unique, I mean, the kid kind of gets there. Um, but you know, like Neo keeps you know, against spoilers for the next one, but uh, fuck you if you haven't watched it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, we we appreciate all of our listeners. <laughs> Neo keeps telling the kid that uh, you know you freed yourself, but uh, but there's definitely like Neo's involved. But Neo helps. Guy is, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Neo's definitely like talking to him. Uh, yeah. The uh, this guy is just straight up like Justin said, just like physical will and mental determination and whatever yeah. like he is yeah just, it's like a it's literally like in, my, a, a mind over matter kind of situation you know yeah, yeah he's like well, he's, he's just on a different plane and yeah, like he it, said the initial wasn't a you know you're talking about the original script he said originally the script wasn't focused on the race um gotcha. and so then those guys were like the wachowskis kind of had that idea to like make that the bookends of it basically or something you know like that yeah yeah that kind of thing i think it was, yeah. i mean i think it was a very good idea well and it's you know one of the things uh cat and i were talking about with the matrix movie is that you know she's not super into kung fu fighting type films like that and i was like i i can understand that but i think it's the way the wachowskis pro approach this violence philosophically um, and this actually ties directly into that stuff of being able to, and I've seen this from, from the world of martial arts, I won't say myself personally, but looking at certain individuals and how they're able to seemingly defy gravity for a second or two, or put their hand through concrete or stuff like that. And you kind of look at that and it's like, I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. I can't do that. And it's all a mental game. And he talks about that briefly with that reporter. It's kind of, it's a feeling like no other, you know, it, you're, you kind of let yourself go. And it's, it's, this has kind of been like one of the best representations of that. Yeah. And uh, one of the most accurate depictions of what that feeling kind of is. It's, yeah. it's neat. I really dig it. It's kind of cool for humanity too. like uh, this idea that, you know, like he's taken off and, all the matrix shit starts popping up in red you know like right yeah. in front of him but um and then he wakes up for like a split second in the in the whatever it's called the generator the tank yeah the yeah. Tank. yeah yeah and uh and then the robot the machines like, are like oh shit yeah <laughs> but you get the feeling like the machines like have like something in place for that because they like catch him like immediately immediately like, yeah like, fuck put it back put it back yeah. <laughs> like, and uh but it's just interesting that like, yeah, like human will, like you, uh, this has obviously happened more than once. These, these people are like popping out yeah, and they're ready. So they have it. to be ready. Yeah. 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 So the next one is called beyond uh, written and directed by Koji Morimoto. Uh, Koji Morimoto is a very interesting guy. Uh, if you watch him in interviews, I'm a big fan of this guy. He's very eccentric. Uh, he was actually the first director approached about the film. But he also took the longest to complete his project. It took two years to create this. Contrast that with Final Flight of the Osiris, that groundbreaking CG, took 13 months. This took two years, this little short. <laughs> and it's kind of the most inconsequential of the, sh of the shorts story-wise, but I think it's a beautiful little 
uh, corner of the Matrix universe. I really like Beyond. I like yeah. the animation style. Um, it's basically Thor the Dark World uh, in plot. And kind of, yeah. It's essentially <laughs> the same story as Thor the Dark World, but I... I That's I, a fuck I, up, I, man. It's true, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think that Marvel stole that idea from this little short film, uh, this weird little short film from the Animatrix, but it's basically kind of... In, uh, so we'll go back to, uh, sorry, go back to Morimoto. The reason that it took him so long is because he is like very, very meticulous. And like I said, a little eccentric, uh, but he, he would keep coming up with ideas and keep having them rejected by the producer, the, Wach- the Wachowskis or whoever. And he'd go back to rewrite. And sometimes he would even have, they'd like what a story beat change, like a little, not the whole story. Like they liked it, but they're like, oh, let's change this. And he would just throw the whole thing out and start from scratch. So it took him forever to come up with something. Uh, But, and then once he had one that they approved, he meticulously storyboarded the entire short himself. And he is known in Japan as being a notoriously slow storyboarder. So it took, it just took him forever to work on it. Yeah. But I really like this one story-wise. I I think it's a really, just like a neat little. It's uh, kind of idea to me in, in trying to encapsulate what it is. uh, It's kind of, it's somewhere between a haunted house movie and like a modern magic yeah, thing with it, kids, almost like Goonies, me, a little bit. Like, yeah, and the it, haunted house stuff to me uh, makes me think of the Oracle's comments in the Matrix Reloaded. I think it's in the. I think it's in Reloaded where she talks about how like werewolves, vampires, and werewolves, ghosts, yeah, yeah ghosts, are, are yeah. basically like glitches in the Matrix, and we even see a werewolf in, in Reloaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this also kind of gives you the idea that maybe haunted houses are also a weird little glitch in the matrix like the history of haunted houses that's just something weird going on with the programming yeah and the simulation (laughs) that we're in yeah it's it's a really interesting take uh to visualize a concept like that and it's yeah man yeah here again just knocked it out of the park it's you know what it took two years worth the wait it's it's awesome yeah i love this one uh he's one it's he, one that gets looked over, I, I think, a lot. Yeah, it, I, I hate myself for how much I like it. Um, <laughs> and, and in some of the making of stuff, you seem like filming and like how meticulously he's filming like a model doing like a lot of the movements of yeah, the girl and yeah, like doing yeah. all this stuff. It's it's kind of neat. But because um, he because he talks about like everybody reacts differently. So he wants to capture this like unique thing that only this human will do and and like these like little moments he wants to catch but yeah i think like that uh mike harris guy was just like uh he was the first director we talked to but uh it took him two years we spent a year also just talking about it I think he called him a producer's nightmare. Yeah, exactly. He was like, like, essentially, he's a producer's nightmare. He's like, uh, but uh, I mean, and then he came up with that. This was the idea he wanted to do about this girl, like finding out he's really. He he tells a story like in the making of thing about being. He remembers being like three or four and seeing like wood grain on the uh, walls or the ceiling or something and seeing it move or something and like everybody telling him no it's still and he's yeah. like no no there's something different here and yeah so he's like really obsessed with what's beyond that wall what's beyond uh what does the light pool or light pole do at night when no one's watching it you know mm. <laughs> like and uh so he was obsessed with the phenomena aspect of it and uh 
the Wachowskis approved it as long as I think their only note was like this girl can't cross over like she can't cross over into the the real world she has to stay in the matrix and yeah. uh, so that, that was that was it so he got to focus on that phenomenon but but he was doing like ridiculous shit like the um they had to find like a little village that had this traffic signal yes he, he yeah. remembered yeah and, uh, it's a very specific song yeah yeah a song he remembered it was for like visually impaired people to be able to cross the street or whatever and but uh, they don't use that tone anymore right so they had to like travel to yeah find so it. they had to travel mm-hmm. like find a, a like a small village that still had that song playing so that they could record the song playing for like the street <laughs> crossing thing and but, but for- and he he like wanted that he's like it has to be this specific song because something in the lyrics yeah thematically, yeah was- like he was saying like worked that, with what he was the story he was telling yeah he was saying that basically the if you look at the lyrics something about the song is basically saying like you're specially selected to cross now or something like huh. that it's like you're a special person and you can cross and it's uh it's just interesting he just it was something he had noticed as a child or something yeah that he just wanted to include here that it felt relevant to what was happening and uh, bonus bonus points to any listener who takes a picture with that with that crossing sign and sends it to <laughs> right. us online it's just it's uh funny. he's a he's a weird dude and uh he is i like him yeah. <laughs> uh talks about it was just like oh he's so good you know like people he's notoriously you know long at doing these things uh my favorite quote was that uh takeuchi said uh he has a special uh affinity for alcohol i think was the exact <laughs> word. He has a special affinity for alcohol. he's like he'll just show up at my house uh like at least once or twice a year and drink every bottle of wine i have and talk yeah. to me about weird stories that he's thought of <laughs> i want to hang out with that guy he sounds fun yeah. <laughs> <Honestly>, he does <laughs> all right so let's get to the last one matriculated is the final mm. The final one, and uh, this one is a- another one that was kind of a late addition. It was, uh, so scheduling conflicts had caused one, one of the Animatrix directors to have to drop out, which left the project short one director. So the Wachowskis actually recommended Peter Chung, who was the creator of Eon Flex. Peter Chung has a long history in animation. Uh, he was one of the key animators on uh, on Rugrats, for an example. But Eon Flux was kind of like his creation. Uh, and Eon Flux, I don't know if you guys have seen it. I, I used to watch it back in the late 90s on MTV. It, I thought it was incredible. I, I didn't realize this until looking back at it, that it was not very popular at the time, as far as, not as far as critically, but as far as like, it didn't have a big following or it didn't get a lot of ratings, things like that. I think yeah. it was very ahead of its time. Honestly. This guy created Charlie Theron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank sir. You. <laughs> No, no, he talks about that, that, that like Rugrats is like actually the genesis of in flux is like, there's so many things that he wanted to do, but Rugrats was kind of limited because they're like little kids with their squat short legs, you know? Yeah. They can't do uh, and so he, he designed something that was like very opposite, um, you know, and, and, and it sounds like you watched the same thing, but like uh, Todd McFarlane's a big thing on this. He's like talking yeah. about oh, yeah. what, what they decided to do with comics like he he looked to peter chung as like uh he was doing that same thing with animation that like uh he he took extra long limbs and big hands and like just weird bodies 
weird yeah. lips too. Everyone's got weird lips in his animation. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, and you can really see that uh, to take it a step further in, especially in some of those uh, early, like in the first hundred issues of the Spawn comic book, and then bleeding over into the Spawn HBO animated series. You see a lot of that in animation influence. Yeah, and Peter Peter Chung, he had the a little bit of an advantage because he came onto the project fairly late, so he was pretty much given free reign to do whatever he wanted story wise because uh, they they just had to get something done. The yeah. problem with coming in so late is that he had very little time to complete it. But I think the the final product does not look like something that was rushed to completion at all. I I really love this segment. I've always really liked. Peter Chung's um, animation style, his character design. I mean, these characters look straight out of Eon Flux, but it's a little more polished. Uh, I mean, this is a few years later in technology, but he's also got some CG in there. Like the the, the machines in this are CG, uh, but they are, they're not quite as 2D cell animated looking as the ones in the second Renaissance, uh, but they don't stand out like a sore thumb, I don't think, uh, like they could. But I, I also just love the story of this one. I think this is one of the most thought provoking of any of the shorts because it's essentially about humans trying to convert machines to fight for humanity and sort of creating a matrix for machines. Uh, it gets very psychedelic. Uh, it's very, very odd, uh, very out there, but I I think it's, I think it's It's a fascinating, it's a really fascinating concept. It really is. It really is. Yeah. he, Uh, He definitely said that like his idea was like, what if, what if a machine entered a human's dream? You know, yeah. like just the, mm. was, yeah, uh, that's that's very very apt. Yeah, and the machines, the way he creates them, they're not they're not the design of the machines that we see in any of the Matrix movies. They're very different, but the way that they're designed, you do get a little bit of humanity out of them. Like they 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 don't have eyes necessarily. You know, but they kind of do. Like the the main one that you know that, that they're converting that they have to rescue. Uh, he he I don't know his gender, <laughs> but <laughs> that that robot is he kind of has these two little like camera things that kind of give him the look of of eyes. You know, so it, it creates some sympathy in it, mm-hmm. uh, even though he's I don't know. It's it's a really really interesting short i think i really like this one and it gets very strange <laughs> but yeah but uh but it's it's a very i think the animation's very dynamic and very just fun to watch so you've got that on top of a very thought-provoking story and i think it's a hell of a way to end i, I was just gonna say like the eyes thing you're talking about is funny because i think anime is like uh traditionally pretty focused on eyes like uh you know that yeah. eyes you know the, the eyes are the windows to the soul and all that stuff like the the good characters have like like big giant eyes and, yeah. uh, you know and then like generally the villains are like very like squinty and weird and yeah. uh but anyway go ahead todd well i was just gonna say uh you know in reading the book um understanding comics by scott mcleod he talks about iconography and being able to identify with something that, you know, the more the more specific something is, the less you're actually able to identify with it. And in looking at the artwork, the character design, the human character designs are pretty specific. We've got about half a dozen characters. And they all have very specific looks, uh, whereas the robot that they are trying to convert doesn't speak. So doesn't have a specific voice. And 
it's for lack of a better term face is so is so minimalistic in its features that I think it's actually able, it's actually easier for the audience to maybe identify with the robot than it is the humans because you're able to, it's really the robot story. Yeah. It's the robot story. So, you know, while, while this isn't my favorite of the nine films, like it's a really fascinating exploration in viewer psychology and how we perceive ourselves and project ourselves onto uh you know the perceived villain and it's you know it's learning about humanity and and all that stuff and what it's shown is some of the basic um influences and drives of humanity the the idea of love and curiosity and pursuit and all that stuff it's it's a fascinating exploration i really enjoy it so do you, you said this is not your favorite. Uh, it's not, not my, my favorite, favorite either, but it's it's up there for me. I think the second Renaissance is probably my personal favorite overall. Um, although I do really like uh, World Record a lot and I mm-hmm. like Beyond a lot uh, just as, as their own little kind of offshoots of the main story. But I think that the second Renaissance is the one that really gives this whole project reason to exist <laughs> you know mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. really truly expanding on the world of the films yeah uh, do you guys have a favorite what is your favorite uh i oof, i i am really fond of detective story i yep. really dig it yeah uh the aesthetic the music even uh, you know the look and we've you know discussed it at length already so i, I won't recount but like man it, it strikes a chord with me i, I really dig it <laughs> I love all of these, but if yeah, I had all, to nail down just good. one, yeah. Some are better than others, but they're all pretty, like varying degrees of good. Yeah. yeah. I never watched the Animatrix before. You've never seen it before? No, oh, wow. I've never seen it before. Oh, really? Yeah. So I was impressed with how much I actually liked each one. I was, it, it made me legitimately think like we should totally do like a evolution of anime or some, some sort of, story for like people like us who maybe don't watch anime all the time yeah yeah to like get to like what what is the essential like what's the what's the travel guide to get out from the uh, then to now the essential viewing yeah yeah i'd be but uh that That might be a future series we work on but uh if i had to pick one gun to head i i guess i mean i think renaissance is uh second renaissance is probably just the most interesting, just because you get the story. Um, mm. But I actually really liked Kid Story. I I, I yeah. dug it. Uh, cool. And and not the least of which is like I think even in the uh, the grave, uh, his name is Michael Carl Popper, and I actually am a big fan of Carl Popper, who's a philosopher. And uh, oh wow, I didn't uh, secretly <laughs> like reading, and so like that that like I popped for that at the end. I was like, oh, he's Carl Popper, and uh, <laughs> nice. that's cool, and. Uh, but yeah, I think Kid Story actually is my because it's just so weird and uh, just I don't know. I enjoyed watching it. Mm. It's kind of interesting to me. And uh, unfortunately, you know, reviewers didn't like that. But that, that's too bad. But I, uh, I, they didn't I, like I, that one. Yeah, I saw I saw some negative stuff on Kid Story. Yeah. So uh, I wasn't planning planning necessarily on on doing this since this is a bonus episode, but do you guys have any further viewing? Do you know anything you would pair with this one or something? 
Uh, I, and you know, it did. It, well, it didn't dawn on me until we were actually talking about it because I, you know, part of the reason I chose detective story is I think it would be in the style of the old films that you would watch in the cinema that would have a cartoon ahead of them. Yeah. I kind of would love, I mean, which to is see- what they did with final flight of the Osiris. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I kind of like the idea of maybe seeing a detective story ahead of either one really of the blade runner films i think that would be oh, yeah. a really Very nice similar aesthetic yeah yeah and uh, neo-noir i mean it's a future noir and blade runner but yeah and that would yeah. work really well i don't know how you dance around not mentioning like heavy metal or something yeah right. as, as right. far as another yeah. anthology film i think heavy metal is a, a pretty pretty good choice um i thought immediately of batman gotham knight Nice. Uh, Batman yes. Gotham Knight is a very similar concept. Uh, mm-hmm. Also by Warner Brothers. So I'm pretty sure that they Warner Brothers was like, hey, that worked for Matrix. Let's do this. Because I think Gotham Knight came out five years later because it came out in between um, first and second, the one. first and yeah. second Dark Knight movie. But it's basically the same thing. In fact, some of the same studios like Madhouse Studio 4, 4C, uh, like they were involved. Some of the same animators that were involved in the Animatrix. I remember um, I remember at, at one point when, around the time it was released, like people were actually, it was a blatant comparison to the Animatrix. They, people were calling it like the Batamatrix. You know, like it, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's like five or six. It's not as many segments. I think it's five or six of them. Yeah. Uh, animated Batman stories by different, mostly Japanese animation studios. Although yeah. they although they were all written by like comic book guys like David Escoyer or Brian Azzarello, Greg Rucka, guys like that wrote the segments. But I was gonna I, say I, like I can't see Christopher Nolan giving anywhere close to a shit. Oh no like I don't think Wichowski's he was involved with, at all. Were with this. <laughs> like Christopher Nolan's like what? I don't I, mean, I don't I even think he's technically listed as a producer or anything on it. So it's definitely not as meticulous in its uh like whether it's canon or or not, but it is the connections to the to the Dark Knight trilogy are loose at best. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, it's it's still a very similar concept, and I, one that I think is pretty uh, is well worth watching. Oh I yeah, think. absolutely. It's, it's really good. I haven't seen it in years, but I remember it being really good. And you've got Kevin Conroy as Batman, so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> tough, to, tough to go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I do have some. Somebody needs a nap. If you oh, would. do you? Ooh, yeah. Okay. I didn't good. know you were. I didn't know we were doing a real whole episode. Uh, it feels like we are now. But we're just in it now. Uh, so, um, yeah. Uh, because despite how 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 hard you try to wake up from the matrix some of the people <laughs> you'll tell them they need to take a nap um i just made that up on the spot you're welcome that was good good. congrats gary uh this is from tara m for murder says uh terrifying nightmare from which the only escape is turning off the tv makes you think animation itself is evil has lots of interesting parts cool images tinges of humanity whatever you want to call it Rob says one star 90% embarrassing garbage with one fun story about how the robots revolted. It's called the second Renaissance part one and two, and you can find it on YouTube. Skip the embarrassing (laughs) underwear woman with a sword story and the awful heroic matrix by suicide story, which is something we haven't discussed. (laughs) That was one of the things people, people hated. Uh, Carl Hudson says uh, backstory theories and metaphors explained from the Matrix universe written by what seems like a horny 14 year old trans kid on Tumblr. Some of it is impressive, 
but it's boring, awful, and not something I wish was an official part of the Matrix universe or a film released by a studio. Just mostly a complete mess, especially so when your best short is the one that can inspire people to kill themselves so they can wake up in the Matrix. In my opinion, that's a dangerous message, especially considering this universe's place in culture, appealing to young, misunderstood men. And then finally, Made Geeky says, this is one of the most 90s edgelord things I've ever had the honor of watching in a very long time. Most of the writing was lackluster and boring. Only one of them added anything interesting or original to the lore. All but one of the ones that had interesting ideas failed miserably at executing them. All but two of them had half-naked women for literally no reason. Time is not an excuse for any of these failings. I've seen clever writing and good character work done in 10 minutes, so there's no reason that these should fail. I don't understand how someone could be given the entire Matrix sandbox to play in, and the best they could do is this. Well, I Oof. don't think I watched the same movie as that person. <laughs> but, Jeez. Uh, yeah, I mean, those are rough, but the, when it came out, I remember the reviews being pretty, generally pretty good. And it made a decent amount of money. I mean, it sold, like we said, DVDs were booming at the time. And it sold like two and a half million copies, made $68 million in sales uh, revenue. So that's not not too shabby, you know, for uh, a movie that could have been pretty bad if it had not been executed as well as this one. Because right. this concept could go either way. We've seen plenty of uh, anthology films, whether animated or not even, you know, we talked about heavy metal. Some of those, not all of those are winners. You know, everything in heavy metal is not a winner. And same with like Creep Show or any other anthology movie. I just watched VHS 94 and they're all, you know, pretty decent, but none of them, they're not all like blowing your mind. And right. So this could have been, this could have gone the other direction, but I think it's a, a pretty, pretty cool experiment that worked mm -hmm. out pretty well for the Wachowskis and for Warner Brothers. And I would honestly like to see more of it. I think with stuff like Netflix, well, with H, I think HBO Max would be the place for it since that's Warner Brothers. Uh, but if they wanted to do a series like what Disney's doing with Star Wars or what they're doing with, with Marvel stuff, that they could expand upon the world of the Matrix in ways that aren't explicitly linked to like Neo and Trinity and Morpheus's saga. You know, do mm -hmm. something more akin to like, um, like a uh, Mandalorian that's a little well, Mandalorian season one, I should say, that's do a little more on the outskirts of the story, but still expanding upon the universe. Do you think if Matrix Four is as ex as successful as it could be, we might get that? I I guarantee you the conversations are happening. Mm. You know, because when something makes that kind of money. Yeah, uh, people always look at a, <laughs> look for ways for it to make even more money for them. Hell, they're working on a John Wick spinoff spinoff series. You know, yeah. Keanu Reeves isn't involved. He doesn't need to be because yep. the world of those films is fascinating enough to spawn its own stories. And the Matrix is clearly the the same situation. I mean, there are hundreds of stories you could tell within yeah. the world of the Matrix, whether it's the real world or the Matrix itself. Uh, this is nine of them, but there's a lot of different directions you could go in with these. Oh, that's sure. uh, that's exactly what. People should be, um, I mean, that's what streaming services and studios are looking for. I mean, you know, just what, what can we mine the most yeah. stories from? And and really with The Matrix, I mean, you even have to wonder, shit, man, it could be Westworld for that matter. You know, like it could just yeah. be like, what, 
what reality does this person choose to to like you know yeah. like could you put a western in the matrix you know could you you know wow. like all of that yeah. stuff you know like it, it doesn't have to be i mean clearly there's programs as we saw from program um where you could be in like ancient japan or whatever yeah. but like could i mean there, there's what like, if somebody was put into one of those programs unknowingly and they, that was just their reality Right, right. Yeah. There's like literally no limit to the amount of settings and scenarios that you could create within the matrix. And then, yeah, yeah there's plenty of world outside of it to pull from as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Well, that's about all I got for this episode. This is a bonus episode that I think is going to be about the length of a regular episode, but there was a lot to talk about with the Animatrix. There's a lot of conversation. This world is a very rich world to, to deep dive into. So we'll be back next week with a regular episode uh, in this series <laughs> uh, with, with the Matrix Reloaded and the Matrix Revolutions. We're going to talk about those as a single episode, a uh, single story, because if you've seen the movies, they are basically one big movie cut in half. Yeah. <laughs> the, first, the first one certainly does not wrap anything up at all. So that's how we're going to discuss them here. So uh, do you guys have anywhere? Where do you guys want to let our listeners know to find you on the internet? Matt, this uh, is Gary Horn. I got excited about it. <laughs> so you're right up on that mic. What else are you excited to share with the listeners, Gary? This is pro like a show or something? Like oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, at TIPW show. <laughs> he doesn't need to promote it on here because his show is so much more popular mm -hmm. than this mm -hmm. one that he feels that it's unnecessary no it's not that it's just <laughs> AVP that we, always be promoting <laughs> well listen I mean the thing is is honestly what I'm what I'm thinking about is like we're, we're planning like a relaunch of this is pro wrestling because we, it's kind of been dead for like uh, a few months now because mm. we've been doing actual stuff and yeah. uh like, I mean, I, I, that even sounded jerky. Like, I mean, just we've been doing other projects. And so, like, we're trying to figure out how to make our own thing. And still, since the National Wrestling Alliance has taken everything we were doing, and it's now just within their realm and yeah. sphere, like, how do you make another thing again outside right. of that, basically? Um, well, but soon, at TIPW show. <laughs> 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 Stay tuned for that, I guess. Uh, Todd. Uh, if you like Star Trek, you can follow me as I uh, host a rotating panel of guests and we discuss the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. It's called Computer Resume Podcast and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and you can follow me at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials. And the show is at Computer Resume on all of the socials. All right, I am at Justin underscore Bishop, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. Find the show at cinema underscore shock on Twitter and Instagram or find us at cinemashock.net. You can find all of our shows, our merch, links to all of our social media profiles, Facebook, like us there, Discord, go join us there. Until next week. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. Are you trying to do a Morpheus thing? What was that? <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Be excellent to each other. Yes. Yes. <laughs> In the beginning, there was man, and for a time, it was good. But humanity's so called civil societies soon fell victim to vanity and corruption. Then Johnny made the keys in his own likeness. <laughs> Thus did Johnny become the architect of his own demise. 
<laughs> that I don't know if that guy's still alive, whoever played that role, but we we should get him. <laughs> Just be like, you're, you're one character has gotten more mileage from Todd A. Davis <laughs> than oh, ever before. This is this is fantastic, Johnny. Johnny has John. those skis, though. We do know that. Yep. 